Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, John is joined by Tyler Smith, who sold his company, Skyslope, to Fidelity back in 2017 in a deal that valued the business at over $80 million. But before we get there, a quick reminder, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you want to help support Built to Sell Radio, you can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Rating reviews truly help our show grow and get in front of more people just like you. Also, I have linked to Fidelity's 10K filing in 2017, which provides some insight into why they ultimately acquired Skyslope, and I thought you'd be interested in it. So I have linked it over in our show notes page, which can be found at builttosell.com. Okay, so now let me tell you a little bit more about Tyler, who was one of the top three real estate agents in all of California, making over $2 million a year when he launched Skyslope a software platform that enables real estate professionals to efficiently manage their transactions, documents, and communications in one centralized system. Now, he built this business to $12 million in annual recurring revenue before attracting significant interest from acquirers. And as you're listening to today's interview, there are really three parts that you'll really want to focus on. One is how he bootstrapped the company to $12 million in annual recurring revenue. The second is the transaction itself. And there's a lot of meat in there, including some wonderful advice he received from his advisor and broker. And lastly is the transition from being the CEO of a company where you were the majority stakeholder, you make all the decisions, to now being the CEO of a company where you're the minority shareholder and the challenges that come along with that. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode with Tyler Smith. Enjoy. Tyler Smith, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, how's it going? It's good, man. So tell me about being a real estate agent because <laughs> I want to go back to like when you were 20 in California, hawking houses. I love this business, but describe that life for me. What were you doing? How were um, you doing it? I, w- I was 20. I thought I knew everything. I knew nothing. Uh, I still know nothing, right? I was, uh, I always, I didn't even know what humble meant. And now I say that humble pie is the pastry that's never tasty. So I've definitely changed a lot from being a realtor to now. So maybe that's maturity. I, I hope I tell that to my mother, but as a realtor back then, I was, I was naive, um, which I think is good in a way. Um, and I thought that, oh, this is going to be so easy. Um, I'm a realtor. I've got business cards. I kind of photoshopped them to look older. I literally would put them everywhere. I'd put them on the ground, hoping someone would pick up a business card. And I was eating humble pie, realizing after two and a half, three months, no one is calling me to buy and sell a home. So then what I did was I went out to my friends and family members. And of course, who wants to to, to trust a 20-year-old with the single largest financial investment transaction an American will ever probably make? And uh, so I, I right away learned that I need to have accountability. I'm really good with accountability. Think about personal training, coaching, diet, nutrition, et cetera. And so my first year, I sold one home, one, um, and it was two at my girlfriend at the time's father, but I made 18 grand and I felt like I was rich, like 20 years old, 18 grand. My 
buddies are all in college, living off a of top ramen. And I'm like, I am, I'm balling. Like I've made it like $18,000. The most I've ever had in my account was like 400, 500 bucks. Um, and so it was, it was, it was a, for me, it was a massive milestone because when you get into real estate, it's very different being an independent contractor than going to work for a W-2. When you go work as an employee, you get something called a paycheck. When you are an independent contractor, and in this case, a realtor, you're writing a check to the association, to the MLS and business cards. And I'm like, this is just so different than what I'm thinking. I mean, it's very untraditional how we were raised. My mom and my dad go get a job, be consistent, go to college. So it was, it went from rough to I, at the time, the top of the world until I realized I had to pay taxes on $18,000. And I was like, Whoa, what's who's uncle Sam? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you're playing, you're playing down your success. Cause I know that by the end of your time at real in real estate, you were one of the top real estate agents in California. I mean, you learned this business, like describe that. Like how, how good did you get? Like, what was the end yeah. game? Yeah, I got really good at real estate. I got a coach. I started doing a lot of activities. I learned that time is my most valuable asset and I can only show home buyers and sellers as many homes, as many hours as there is. So I built a team under me with buyers agents, sellers agents, listing coordinators, transaction coordinators to where I was selling over a thousand homes a year, top 30 and 30 in the nation, number three in California, like doing really, really well. Um, the market had a big transition and um, they went into the REO market and I found really niche opportunities with asset manager portfolios where instead of going and getting one to two homes listed, I'd get portfolios from Goldman Sachs, Litton Loan Servicing, back then Bank of America um, or Countrywide, which is now Bank of America, where they'd give me 30, 60, 150 assets at a time. I would manage those eviction process, cash for keys, rehab. Then I would put them in the market, and that's eventually how I'd make my commission. So, and, and and like once you pay your subordinates, the people you hired to help build this empire, like what are you clearing in a good year? After tax, I mean, I was making really good money over a million bucks. Wow! How old are you? Uh, twenty four was when I first made a million dollars. So wow. four years later. 25, 26, it just kept going up. Um, you know, my best year I made, you know, net profit, 2.6 million. Wow. Uh, now that's also with me doing some of my own flips as well. You can imagine in that type of scale, you're seeing a lot of deal flow and opportunities. Sure. Banks are like, hey, we just want to get rid of this asset. I'm like, great, I have an LLC that'll buy it. And they they approved it. And so, um, but you know, I it was for a realtor, I was I was doing really well. I, I was saving a lot of money. I was working though extremely hard. Like you can ask some of my friends, they'll say there was like three years that literally Tyler did not exist. Former friends? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like they would say, like, and I'm even I'm bad now, but it's funny, people are like you're bad at text messages and like I'm really bad, but I didn't even like it was there was nothing back then. I was so bad that people would be like, Hey, are you, are you alive? Like we haven't heard from you. And, and it was just, we were so busy and I was so scrappy and lean because I wanted my coach challenge me to have this high net income, which, you know, I, I don't regret it at all, but I mean, I, I definitely, you know, look back and like, I probably could have done a lot better at relationships. Um, but I was just grinding. I mean, seven days a week, no days off, like, you know, hardcore, bad diet, bad sleep. And it was just like, I'm young. I'm going to do this today, you know? So how did you come up with the idea for Skyslope? Yeah. So um, I, I wanted something to better manage these transactions. In real estate, it, it, you have a file that's literally like this thick. 
And that's, this is the paper days, paper, faxes, and all those things. Um, and email is obviously prevalent, but brokerages have to keep a repository of every document that has to do with the real estate transaction per their state regulation. In this case, California, that's where I was selling real estate. Um, you know, my broker's like, hey, you have to turn in your documents. Not only that, I had my own file personally on my desk in case a client would call. My assistant had her own file and my transaction coordinator had her own file. Very inefficient. Um, I'm a big, big believer on making things as efficient as possible and everything. I try to hack my life, hack my wardrobe. I, like, I want to not think at all. So when I'm in my castle, and the castle I mean is the office, working, I'm just fully focused. And um, I just saw a need that there's something that we have to manage this a lot better. And so I looked at all the platforms out there. Um, I said, these are not going to work. They're not built with a realtor's per, you know, you know, mindset. And so I, I hired somebody on Elance. And I said, hey, I want you to build me something. What are we going to call it? I don't know, Smith Premier Properties Portal Inc.com, the longest, ugliest name in the world. And I was like, mom, I've got, I got a domain. Uh, you know, I'm like, I'm storing documents in the cloud. She's like, where's the cloud? I'm like, no clue, but it's there. And, and I built version one for like six grand, you know, and it was, uh, it was literally a, a glorified Dropbox. You, up, you'd make a folder, you'd name it the property, you'd have all your compliance items. My assistants and admins would upload them. I'd look at them. So if a client called, I'd go click, click. Yep, here's the document. And it was one single repository, which back then was pretty cool. Um, now it's like table stakes. Like, what do you mean? This is like common, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I, I got a chance to chat with Jason Fried, the guy behind Basecamp. And he said yeah. that initially building Basecamp was just for our own project management on websites we were building. And we just wanted to do it better. It sounds similar in your case. You had this vision to build some software that would and make your processes internally in your real estate business more efficient. At what point did you start to realize there was a business in creating this and, and syndicating this and licensing this to other realtors? Yeah, probably later than I probably should have. And the reason why is I was so head down working. Um, the way that I found out that this would be something not only I would find a lot of value in, but my also my um, you know other colleagues would is I did a lot of networking. And so how I built my business was I networked with the top realtors in every different state. And I created this mastermind. So I'd have the top five realtors in New York, uh, you know, Atlanta, you know, Georgia, uh, you know, Arizona, et cetera. And they would all ask, how are you managing these deals? Because there were platforms out there, but they're not great. And I'm like, oh, I'm using, you know, Smith Premier Properties Portal Inc.com, of course. What are you guys using? And they're like, well, what's that? I'm like, oh, something I built. And they're like, can we use it? I'm like, I don't know. That's a good question. Let me ask my team who built it in Elance, you know, in India. And I don't know. So I, I called, um, you know, Dapika. That was my gal's name. And she was fantastic. And, you know, we still have a great relationship today. And I said, hey, I got some other people who want to use this. But, like, I don't want them to see my stuff. Like, I was so no tech. I'm like, are you sure they're not going to see my deals in there? And, like, you know, she's like, no, that, that's not how it works. And so I, I added 10 of my friends in. And they're like, this would be a great feature. I'm like, oh, I love that idea. Or this would be a great feature. And so I said, I'm going to put this little, like, feedback thing. And I'm going to give Dapika and her team a budget. And I'm going to like, you guys tell her what to do. I click approve. Then she builds it. And we can kind of do this for, you know, if, you know, you guys give me good ideas. And um, that's when I saw a, a, one of my, 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 my colleagues um, in Arizona was like, hey, I want this for my brokerage, not just me as an agent. And I'm like, whoa, what's that mean? Like, how do we think through that? 
And um, he, he's like, as, as long as you just give this to my broker, I now don't have to have my assistant print all this out and give it to them. And that was our first step. Our very first client, 2000 agents paying a dollar a month. I'm like two grand a month. Oh my gosh. Like this is jackpot. Again, naive, crazy Tyler. I'm like two grand. That's like mailbox money. If I can get 10 people paying me two grand. That'll pay for some of my staff. So that's how little I was thinking, you know, because I was like, I've got a cash cow. I've got my baby right here. Like focus, Tyler, focus, focus, focus. And so I landed them DPR Realty, which is still a, a, a client of ours today. Dell Milton, great, great guy who took a, took a chance on us. And uh, from there, I knew we were onto something. I'm like, man, he's finding a lot of value. He's saving this much money. He's saving this much time. He doesn't have to go down to the storage facility to get his documents. And just hearing it on the broker perspective, I said, man, just for realtors, this is not it. This is for brokerages, and this is something they buy and license to all of their realtors and mandate that all of the realtors use it because they're going to be more effective, more efficient, and it's a good platform. And so I, I would say we got a lot lucky because we were at the right place at the right time. To enter this market today is brutal. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult. Tyler, I want to ask you a, a couple of follow-up questions, in particular around pricing. So originally, it was you were licensing it to individual realtors, then you glommed on to this idea of brokerage. So the broker would would buy a certain number of seats from you and then right. insist that as part of their, I understand a broker says to a real estate agent, look, as part of being under our roof, you pay us a stipend every every month typically, and then a percentage of whatever you sell. Is that the way brokers typically yeah. charge? So there, there's several, the models definitely changed throughout you know, the course of the last two decades. It used to be called an 80-20 split, 50-50 split, 70-30 split. Now there's a lot of new innovative models of flat fee brokerages or just pay by month brokerages. So there's several different brokerages models, but typically how it works is you have a broker, they have their license at stake and they um, have independent contractors that sell real estate. They either take a fee, they either take a fee until it caps, they either take a a fee per transaction. Sometimes they just take a monthly tra um, a monthly technology fee. It, it, it's, it's sliced several different ways in today's market um, because of just competition and new you know innovation. However, it's still the same model. I have a broker, I have independent contractors, and as a broker, I'm required to have a repository of every document. So I do have, although they're independent, I do have the power to say, hey, John, Jackie, you guys have to turn your documents into me. And there, because it's a requirement by the state of California and, and any, any state, the National Association of Realtors requires that, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, they're independent contractors. And so it's very similar to Salesforce, except Salesforce is for employee based. We use Salesforce here at Skyslope. We have 100 whatever licenses. Um, the same thing for a brokerage. You have a brokerage. They will have a license for themselves on a broker level. They will have admins, which are typically W-2s, maybe call it five to 10 admins. And then they, they have 100 agents. They will give a license to each agent. And typically, the broker pays for this. Sometimes you see brokers incorporate this into their monthly technology fee or what have it. But this is pretty, pretty standard in today's practice. Got it. Okay. So that's super helpful. And I think I understand the early days of the business. Tell me the story about 
when you decided to go all in sky slope. So you had the early nascent success with the one brokerage, but you're still making a couple million dollars clear selling real estate. I'm really curious as to what that story is, where you decided to stop selling real estate and start putting all your eggs in the sky slope basket. Yeah. Um, So what I did was I had a coach that... Um, referred me to one of their sales reps that hated working there and wanted to you know, do something with me. And I said, well, hey, he was in North Carolina. I said, I've never had a remote employee, but why don't I pay you a monthly fee and you bring in sales for Skyslope and I'll do the demo because I know it. And he watched every demo until he learned the demo and uh, he started just selling it. And it was shocking because I'm like, hey, it's a small enough fee. If he sells it, great, because I know what monthly reoccurring I'll bring in. And this kid, uh, which I wasn't a kid, but he was even younger than me. I'm like, he was selling this thing. It was nuts. And I would coach him on his demo, say this, try this, do this. And he was selling it. And so I, I, he brought in a good probably 10000 in monthly reoccurring. Um, and for me, we didn't have a price. I'm like, sell it for whatever you can, like a buck, five bucks, three bucks. I, we didn't even know. Back then, SaaS, I, I didn't even think about that. You have to understand, I was so focused and, and what probably was a really bad owner, leader, manager, because I'm like, I'll just keep writing him checks. I'll check in with him when I can. And if he puts a demo on my schedule, he'll coordinate with my assistant. And I was doing these demos and I was learning, wow, I do real estate different than this brokerage or wow, they do it differently. And wow. And he would do all the follow-up. And then eventually he just did the demos himself. And we did that for about a year. And he brought in well over probably 10, 11,000 a month recurring, not including what I brought in, just kind of like, you know, falling into deals. And that's when I was like, man, like he's brought in more than I'm paying him on salary. And um, I should really think about taking this seriously because I'm now I'm getting conflicts of more demos, more time real estate. And that's when I said, I, you know, to my assistant, which really I, I shouldn't even call her assistant because she's really like an ops manager. But I said, hey, I need you to, you know, really be running, running things more and, and, and taking on some more of my role here. Um, you know, if I have to bring on another person, I will, because I think there's something interesting, which I even gave her, you know, very small piece of sky slope, you know, right under 1%. Because I said, hey, I'm going to do this. I need you to run this, but I can tell you it's going to be great for you. And she, she didn't believe it. She's like, Tyler, we got this huge thing here. Like, what? Like, and I get it. She's like, are you giving up on me? Like, are you... I'm like, you got to trust me. I'm like, this is like, look at this. And so she allowed me to take 50% of my time away from the real estate practice and into Skyslope. And at that point, it wasn't even, we just had incorporated this Skyslope. We had just like, we're like, we got a real company now. Like, you know, let's incorporate. What's, you know, let's get an LLC and, you know, the whole, the whole deal. So when did you turn off the real estate business? Good question. Um, it was about five years later. Um, and it was out of, we were siphoning it down. Um, we were only taking on business that made sense for us. Jennifer was rank running at my system at the time, running it very well. And, um, we were getting some running into some roadblocks because we had some local people in the market that are big players that are like, why would I buy your software? It's the best, but you're my competitor. Like you compete with my agents and they have a problem with you and you're well known. <laughs> like, and I go, I'm not even practicing. If you think I'm running this company and actually like, practicing and I'm not. And um, there's one big broker said like, it's just, we love this software, but we will never support it. And I thought, you know, 
this is not going to be the first time. And it wasn't the first time I've heard that. And um, so I, I had a really good friend that was a local person. He wants to grow his business. And I, I sold him my real estate practice and we got out. And that client at the time um, still is with us, but uh, signed up a week and a half later. Hmm. Uh, they were mad I didn't sell my business and put my team with them. But I said, hey, like, I already had this lined up. I've got a great relationship. It's a promise I made. In the event I ever did this, I would do it. So I sold my real estate practice um, and I went full time Sky Slope. How big did you get Sky Slope before you decided to sell it? We were growing. Uh, Oh, pretty quick. Um, you know, right away, I brought in a buddy of mine who we had sold real estate back when we were tw in our 20. And, and he left, went and did a startup in Silicon Valley, uh, sold back to Chegg, came back, wanted to buy some investment properties. And we started talking about tech. And he's like, what, you're doing this? What the heck? I thought you were still in real estate. He's like, I'd love to be part of this. I can ramp up sales. He's got a really big uh, uh, agenda and focus on uh, hyperscaling sales teams, BDRs, SDRs, et cetera, um, you know, making sure they're hitting certain call metrics, uh, you know, getting the pitch down, really good at coaching training. He scaled that um, in a very big way with colleges nationwide, with college students. And so he goes, you handle all tech, product, HR, all the stuff I hate, let me handle sales. And right away, he's like, we need a new building because you're in a tanning salon and it's not going to work. Number one. Number two, like I'm going to hire like seven to eight people, four are going to drop out. He knew all the metrics. So it was a rinse and repeat from his playbook. Um, and that's when we really started to see things take off. He brought the people on, he coached them and he, you know, he had me in his meetings. Hey, listen to how Tyler's tone is here. You know, use this. This is good. And we wrote the playbook on how to sell our, our, sell our software. And so we were growing, you know, 100% year over year. We were doing up 10 grand a month. So it's not really hard to do that when you go from one sales rep remote to 12, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, we grew it, you know, for those call it eight, eight and a half years prior to selling to, to Fidelity in 2017, you know, we were doing you know, a little over 12 million bucks in, in ARR with a really nice margin, you know, no funding, no capital raise. Um, you know, we had probably at the time 80 employees. I remember mean, it's like six years ago, five and a half years ago. So maybe 80 employees. Um, but we were, we were loving it. You know, it was high growth, high startup, you know, working late, you know, knowing our parties were horrible, like two grand and pizza, which now it's like, if you don't have, you know, you know, blue bottle, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so very different, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It's still fun, but it was like really fun because you had everything to lose and it can be gone tomorrow and you fight so hard for every deal. How did you finance it? So walk me through, yeah. because in the early days you, you were taking money out of one pot, the real estate pot and kind of funding the, the team you had working on it in India through Upwork. But how did that evolve over time? You say you didn't raise outside money. Yeah. So how did the cash work? Yeah. So I funded the entire company. I did really well in real estate and I saved money. I didn't have time to spend money, which is great. So I saved a lot of money, but it, it was a challenge. Like I knew real estate. I spoke one language really well, you know, and I, I knew if I wanted to double my real estate business, I actually could have done that. I knew exactly what I had to do. It'd be a lot of work. A lot of headache, but I knew exactly what I had to do. So you have to understand, I'm giving up something that I'm so confident, passionate, and very comfortable in 
to do something very foreign and uncomfortable. And I'm writing checks, big checks. These aren't cheap. So when DJ goes, I'm hiring four, five, six, seven sales reps and we got to get out of the tanning salon. The tanning salon's a thousand bucks a month. <laughs> We're now going to the old beer bottling brewery, you know, that's six grand a month, which is comical to think that that's a lot of money in today's age when I know we pay $75,000 a month for our place here. When and no one's in it, by the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. but back then I'm like, six grand a month, I've got monthly recurring of 10. Now I'm only at four net. So in real estate, my coaches taught me net profit, net profit, net profit. You think about any tech in, in the Valley, it's like burn, burn, burn. So they're, con- they're constantly fighting each other. And so I funded the company. I never took a salary. What do you think you kicked in all in to, to build SkySlope? Like, uh, be- so before it got to like cash flow positive, pay me back, I was in like 2.2 million bucks. Wow. And so that's like real, right? Like that's my money. What's nice is I'm not writing one check. It's okay. I got to write a check. Hey, we, we got to bring our in-house devs and we don't want our outsourced devs. We had 33 outsourced devs. The time zone was a challenge. We had bugs. We didn't have quality control. So now we have two teams, US and, and uh, overseas until we were big on the US where we can get rid of them. I mean, it was, it was challenging and it was, you know, it was a lot of money and I was like not paying myself. I'm like, man, we just keep hiring. And I'm like, I know this is going to work out, but golly, like this is not how my brain thinks. My brain thinks net profit, net profit, net profit. And I'm writing checks. And um, what was yeah. it about having a software company that was alluring? Because a lot of people listening to this would say, lives in California, makes a couple million bucks selling real estate, probably has a nice car, nice house, family. Like, Why risk all of that? for this shiny ball called a SaaS company. Like that's yeah. the part that I think I need to get inside your head. Like, yeah. like you could have had a great lifestyle. Yeah. Why not? Like, why risk that? What was yeah. it that was so alluring? Yeah. So I, I, I'm always a big believer in just hedging my bets. And I, I knew I can go back into real estate tomorrow with my eyes closed. I think I can still do that today and even do five times my business. Like that's, that's how confident I am in real estate. I'm very comfortable in it. Um, I still am in it because of real estate tech, prop tech. But I mean, like it's, it's to me, it's, you know, we, there's, you know, 1.2, 1.3 million realtors and it's the 80-20 rule. 20% of the realtors do 80% of the business. And the reason why is because they know how to prospect and work and be, be you know, they understand they shouldn't be doing 10, 20, $30 an hour work, they should be hiring for that and they should be doing what they do best. And I think that's a really big disconnect. So for realtors, so I knew I could go back to that and I knew what it was. To me, I like to not stress, I, I use the word, but not, it's not a real word in my, I, want, I like to stress things out. When you work out, you want to stress the muscle so it grows. So I like to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, you know? Um, you know, I want to be very uncomfortable. That's what I want to be because I think a lot of growth and a lot of big um, uh, breakthroughs come. So for me at that time, that's what went through my head. Not only that, I saw these demos. I'm telling you, I did demo reviews. I was a CEO doing demo reviews, critiquing my sales and reps and my SDRs as demos. No, we don't say this. This is why we don't say this. That doesn't make sense. Hey, you guys need to double down here. This is our value prop. But I'm listening to these and I'm getting a confirmation back of how this product is going to really help them. And I was the product person. No one was like, hey, we, have a, we didn't have a product person literally until really, we did not have a leader of product until six, right before we, we got acquired by Fidelity. Think about that. Wow. I was the product person. 
So I'm like, hey, we're going to build a digital signature. Why? There's DocuSign. Because guess what? We can actually say our DTM, our transaction management, our golden standard, we just give our digital signature away for free. So we can take that spend from the DocuSign folks. And guess what? They'll buy our software, which it worked. Hey, brokers can make a profit off of that. So hey, brokers, if you want to charge your agents two bucks per, per month for DocuSign or for DigiSign, our digital signature, guess what? You're, you're now it's a profit set. So I was always the product person. I, I mean, I'm still really a product you know, led CEO. We're, we're a product led company in our company today. Um, but I, I saw the reason why I went all in was because I saw the problem we were solving and I saw that people liked it. And not only that, you know, the NPS was through the roof at the time. Net promoter um, score. And, yep. And I'm like, man, like people love this. And there's nothing else out there like it. I think the biggest thing was not only was our technology, like it, it was like fresh, right? It's like, whoa, this is like new. It's like, yeah, realtors are old school. You know, our average age of realtors over 50. So they're not big time on tech. We've made four easy buttons and everyone laughed at it. I'm like, make it simple. Four easy buttons. Now we're like four. It should have no buttons. It should just work automatically. Right. But back then they were like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. And so that was the, the one big takeaway. But the second was we had a different model. A lot of these competitors of ours that were out in the market charged per transaction, which was crazy. Cause I'm like, I want to predict my revenue coming in if I'm going to hire all these people. And it just seems better. I wasn't thinking the value of the company and this is SaaS. None of that even came to mind. I was just like practical. I want to know if I'm signing up John Realty, he's going to pay me $1,000 a month. I can commit and command for a year to year contract. I get a thousand bucks a month. I love it. And they were doing per transaction. Well, brokerages weren't putting deals in that they didn't have a high likelihood of closing. So... <laughs> They're, they're gaming the system because they want to know. So brokers love the new model because they knew how to budget it. I love the new model because it was SaaS, not knowing what SaaS was. And I just knew that, guess what? This is going to be a business that's going to pay a lot of dividends in the long term. Well, let's talk about that because I'd love to get into the transaction itself. So you, you build it up to around $12 million ARR, annual recurring revenue, yep. roughly 80 employees. I mean, was there some sort of like, trigger that made you decide to get on your front foot and sell the business? No, I had no intentions to do that. Um, but my, my COO at the time, uh, DJ was like, dude, we should take, take some chips off the table. Like, dude, you got a ton of money in this thing. And it was paying me back. I wasn't taking a salary yet, but it was paying me back. Then I, I just had started to take a salary because it paid me back my money um, and my loan. And um, at that time, what was interesting was I was getting a ton of inbound interest from private equity. It's pretty standard if you're in YPO, EO, you're, you're a, a bootstrap company, you're, not, you're always getting inbound interest. Hey, because they're always looking for bootstrap companies because it's, it's brilliant. Like, I don't know everything. I'm a first-time founder. I think I know everything, right? And I built a great business, but they have a lot of you know, rinse and repeat practices that they can infuse into the business along with capital to de-risk me, to, to, to spike it. And it's a win for them. It's a win for me. Everyone wins together. And so I had a lot of inbound interest and I had an email template that I replied back to everybody, you know, and I said, Hey, I'm super busy. I'm, I'm onto some really cool stuff. And I crafted it a way where it kept them enticed, wanting to know more, but also dismissed them in a friendly way. Um, and I, I used it on everything. It was like copy and paste. I, I have a, a different one in today's age, but I'm really big on, on those things because you never know. You want to leave that door open. And so when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, 
a lot of them are like, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even reply back. And it's like, you want to build your network. You know, you want to build this network um, regardless what your situation is, because you never know. And you want to network with these folks. And what's great is I wanted to, cause I wanted to learn from them. So I'd get on a call with them. Tell me what you can do guys. Like I'm willing to share some information, but give me some nuggets. And they would give me nuggets and I'd go implement them and they would work. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Holy cow. And I did that with this one company, Serent Capital, fantastic private equity company. Um, and, uh, and it was funny because they finally said, Tyler, we're going to come down like, holy cow, like, can we just get a deal done? Like you see, you keep implementing this and I'm like, well, come down, let's have a discussion. And I'm like, guys, I just, why would I, why, why would I do this? And, I, you know, put something in writing. I don't want to play, get, you guys have given you enough information, put something so I know this is real. Because in my mind, I'm always like, you know, don't count your money until it's in the bank, you know, and, and, and time kills deals. Those are the two things I do know from my real estate days. So they made an LOI and I was like, whoa, this has got my eyes. Open. What, was, what was their number? It was like 55, 60 million bucks. But I'm like, 60 million bucks. I don't even know what I'm worth. I have no clue. I'm not doing evaluations. I'm not even thinking multiples. None of that. All I'm thinking is how to get the next client on Skyslope. What's the next feature release? Like, so I'm the same person as I was in real estate, heads down busy. And I'm not, I think that's a good lesson to, to call out because I think there's pros and cons of that. There's pros because I'm a very connected CEO to the company, pulse on the market, product mindset. Arguably, I can say that's why Skyslope got to as far as it did. Obviously, we need great team members to build the products and things, but, um, you know, I, but you could also argue that look, I could have been building maybe culture. I could have been cultivating other relationships. And so I, I don't know what the right answer is. It worked for me. Um, I don't know if I would do that again, but it worked really well for me. And so I didn't, I wasn't even thinking evaluations. And in today's age, that's all a CEO thinks about because they're on their, their next raise. They're, 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 they have a board. I didn't have any of that. Like I had advisors because I asked them to like coach me and tell me, hey, Tyler, you don't know what you're talking about here. Because I was self-aware to know that, you know, surrounding yourself with your, your, your network is your net worth, right? So that's, that's, that's what I thought. But Sarah did that deal or, or gave us the LOI. And I'm like, man, I really got to take this seriously. And I had had a relationship with a banker that's in our space, the prop tech space. And I said, hey, I, you know, you said, you know, at some point when I want to do something to come to you, I don't even know if I want to do anything but I want to talk with you about this. So we met with him and he's like, whoa, this is a pretty solid LOI with like me doing the deal. Like you got this number with yourself. This is crazy. Um, you know, you've given him a data room. I'm like, what's a data room? I've had given him documents and the data room is what, you know, typically when you're, you're raising money or you're selling, you, you put all your documents into a secure room and, you know, people have passwords and it's encrypted, et cetera. Um, and so, I didn't know what a data room was like, not, but send him my financials. And, you know, he's like, well, what financials have you sent them? Like, how is it cash based? Is it accrual based? I'm like, what's cash and accrual? Like money comes in, money goes out. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hey, you're speaking a different language, buddy. And that's when I realized, like, if I'm going to be serious about this, I need someone like this person, this banker. Um, I'm so busy. I'm, 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 I'm uneducated, to be honest. Uh, I'm a realtor. <laughs> In my mind, I'm a commission, a commission check. I sell them, I get a commission check. Hey, I sell a, I sell a SaaS deal, I get a you know, SaaS. It's, that, that's how my brain thought. And so, um, you know, we came on and he had an upfront fee, 
which is like a marketing fee, which is really, uh, you know, <laughs> it's really a BS fee to be honest. But look, they, I sorry, did you say a BS fee? It's like a, it's a, to me, it's like a blah fee. It's like, a, it's like, hey, we need a hundred grand for marketing. We're going to do the pitch deck. And I'm like, guys, a hundred grand. I'm like, hundred grand. I'm writing the check myself. You know, like this is a, <laughs> this is my company. Like, holy cow, like hundred grand. No, You've, we've already got an LOI. So you, you usually don't have to pay that fee. It's a nego negotiable fee. And then he had a fee to sell the business. I negotiated that down. So I'm like, I've got an LOI in hand. That's a decent offer. I can go negotiate this or shop it or go to another banker. So he lowered his fee and we signed with him. And I said, I don't want to do a majority deal. I want to do a minority deal. If I can take a little chips off the table, awesome. And we can put some on the balance sheet. We can run. And I still want to control everything. And he goes, I know and I hear you, but I think we should talk to strategics as well. You have nothing to lose. You can turn them down. But I think we can get the best offer from strategics. And uh, he identified 30 or 20, 28, uh, 28 people that he wanted to go out to. He goes, we're going to run a very specific process, um, but we need to get a lot of your financials and things in place. And this is really where I think the magic came um, because my, my business partner, uh, COO at the time, was, he was a, it was foreign to him to hire a banker to do a raise. Usually the CEO goes out, you go on the road, show you do the raise yourself. And we weren't raising per se, but we were selling a private equity. And he's like, why are we paying, you know, a couple million bucks this guy? We can do this ourselves. My old company, yeah, that's what I did. You know, I went on Shark Tank, I did this. Like, and I said, no, this is the right, the right person. I've already validated that. There's no question there. I've been meeting with him offsite, you know, several months and months and months just at events. This is our guy. Um, and it was the right choice because watching them, I mean, they got all Wharton grads. I'm watching them even just on Excel. I'm like, oh, my head's going to explode. Like what? I mean, just watching them was very impressive. And then doing the deck, the pitch deck, and then coaching us. Guys, don't say this. You know, hey, don't, don't say that. Hey, this is burn. Don't say, you know, uh, churn. Say, you know, let's go to retention. And so they coached us. And I'm, I'm, I loved it because to me, it was like a, a master class in how to sell your, how to sell your, your, your company. And they were very much hands-on, guided us, practice, practice, practice. And then it's like, get ready, gentlemen, we are going on the road. And it was like meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting. And back then, we, there wasn't like Zoom. It was like, what, WebEx or something. So, um, and some of these meetings were horrible. Like people are, you know, they're like busy, not even paying attention. I'm like, oh, they're not interested. And then some were like, like asking very detailed questions. And it was great was they were there the entire time to answer these questions in the event we didn't know how to. Um, I mean, they were literally, I would call it a huge key to the success. They'll say, hey, you had the revenue, you put in the work. But I mean, it was a great team effort. Um, and it was something like I'll never forget. It was, it was like life changing just to go through that process, not the exit, but the actual process, because I learned so much. I learned things to say and don't say. How like, to make for it example, what, what, like you mentioned don't say churn say retention, uh, you know, 2% ret churn may sound ugly, but 98% retention sounds great. The same yeah. thing. <laughs> but what other, like, what other things did they say? Yeah. And what other coaching sort of things did they give you to yeah. say or not I, say? I think what I've, I've talked to a lot of bootstrapped uh, entrepreneurs and even non-bootstrapped entrepreneurs, um, people are raising money. And it's all about storytelling and how you craft your story. And so I'll give you a great example of a good friend of mine, um, you know, bootstrapped, doing really well. And I said, share your financials with me. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, walk me through them. And 
And, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, hey, if you just take out your enterprise, your enterprise um, metrics are through the roof. It's like 100% retention. But this small is like really bad. So on your pitch, you should be talking. We have small and medium and they may churn. But guess what? Our enterprise retention is this. So what I learned was they'll take the data, look at it, digest it in several different models and ways to then craft what makes us look the best. Or, okay, this client churned because they got acquired. We're going to redact that from the metrics. We'll put an asterisk of why, just so we're not lying, because it makes your your, your retention a 1% better. And so th- there's all these little, like the way that they craft this, it's, it's very clever. I would call it very uh, uh, smart. I didn't go to Wharton. I didn't go to these schools, but it was so cool. It was like, whoa. Like, it, it, I mean, it blew my mind to go, man, you can actually do that? It's like you're creating your own financial model. It's like, what? how can you do that? And then I'm like, are publicly traded companies do this? Like, oh, it, it made me go. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild to, to go through, but um, a lot of people listening might go, that's pretty standard. But back then for me, I, I was like a kid in the candy store. You have to think, I got into real estate, I knew nothing. So I'm, I'm learning, learning, growing, growing. I then get into SaaS and tech, I know nothing. I'm learning, learning, growing. Now I'm getting into like M&A, transactions, investments, multiples, evaluations. I, I'm, like, I'm always like a kid in the candy store with knowledge. I'm always trying to train my brain and grow and stress things out so I have growth. Um, and it was just, it was a really cool experience. So walk me through some of the numbers. So you had this offer from Sarah, Sarah. Capital at roughly five times revenue or 60 million yep. bucks, something in that space. Yep. Chris is like, hey, we could maybe do better. Let's go to market. He identifies 30 companies, some of whom are strategic acquirers. Yep. You have a mixed reaction. Some are leaning in, others are kind of doing their email. What next? Like how many LOIs did you get? Yeah. What was that yeah. like? So Chris had a very detailed, uh, Chris got my banker at the time, a very detailed plan. Plan one, we're going to do an IOI indication of a tent. We're going to kind of do a sniff test. Who's interested? So we did a pitch, one pager, SIM, um, you know, and out of that, we had, I think, 16, uh, I have these numbers, were 16 people who came back and said, we're interested. Great. We opened up a small data room, not a big data room, small data room schedule pitches, do the demos and the pitches. From there, we got, I, uh, uh, from IOIs, we got LOIs. We had, I think, nine LOIs. And some of those LOIs, it's like, this is never going to close. This isn't going to do well. Hey, you know, these people usually go, you know, bad, bad valuations. But what was interesting during this is we got a slew of different ranges. Um, you know, we had three strategics at the time. One of them was the highest offer by far. But Chris said, like, and I agreed with him. He's like, this is never going to close. Trust me. Like, they, it's just very corporate ran. You want to run a tight process and we don't want to fall out. And I think the likelihood of them closing is going to be low. They don't know how to do due diligence on a tech company. This is their, fir- their first step into tech. It's going to be very tough. Um, I think they just threw it out there. I don't think we should do it. And I agreed with him. How um, much more was that offer than the one you ultimately accepted on a percentage 20, basis? 21 million. $21 million higher. 
Yep. So effectively, here's what I'm hearing you say. You walked away from an extra $21 million because you did not have confidence that that would close. Therefore, time kills all deals. And you worried the whole process was going to blow up. Yeah, they, they were. They just had their M and A team had just transitioned. They uh, made it very clear that they're busy. I mean, they they gave us all the indications that and they made it very clear they would need a ninety day due diligence. Uh, like it was, it was every, every, the writing was on the wall. Could it have closed? Sure, potentially. We looked at it, and I mean, again, this is why I think Chris is great, uh, and why a banker, anyone in this situation, is great. Is he ran a pro forma on on the likelihood of it. Closing, you know, he had his Wharton grad, you know, to do do that. Hey, this is their stock price. This is where they're at, cash in the bank. This is how much debt they would have to do. They just had, I mean, he ran a whole model on this, which was shocking to me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We can't do it. So we exited that out. We had two other strategics that came forward. And then we also brought Sarin forward, got KKR, got rid of them, um, um, got rid of some others. So we brought Sarin forward because we love the guys there. They're fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a great private equity company. And we're like, maybe they can come up. You know, maybe they can, they can put more skin in the game because we wouldn't mind. We, we like who they are and if they want to pay more. Great. So at that time, we had a company um, by the name of Sarin Capital. We also had a strategic fidelity national title, the largest title company in the nation, publicly traded. And then we had a company called um, Lone Wolf, which was a Vista portfolio company, which as everyone knows, Vista has heard of them, one of the, you know, called the flagship of private equity um, or one of the flagships of private equity um, at the time. And so we, we went and met with all three. We, we, we uh, went through and opened up more data rooms and went through additional due diligence. And now it's time to enter into exclusivity. Exclusivity is, hey, I'm committing to you that I'm going to you know, not go out and continue my, this process with anyone else. I'm going to have a certain time frame for this exclus- exclusivity where it will end, and then I can do what I want, but I am committing to you. We are, we are getting married for a, a, a point in time in which I'm not going to date, and, and, and you, know, you have the right to walk away if you want to be fine, something of not, uh, that, that, that raises red flags for your investment. And um, during, right before we did that, we went down and we met with a lot of different people. So one, we met with um, the Vista team, fantastic team, and they told the whole story. And I mean, they're really good at selling. What was really appealing to them is they, they go, we have a rinse and repeat playbook. You're going to get through boot camp. I'm telling you right now, you're going to meet with all of our other CEOs. You're going to be networked some of the best. You're going to learn our best practices. You're going to get into our proprietary best practices books and understand how SaaS works, why we do the things we do. And that was really compelling as someone who loves to grow. I'm like, that's like a 10 out of 10. They also said like, hey, we're all about cash flow and we know how to make money and we know how to turn a really good ROI to our LPs. So just so you know, this is what we would be asking you and be requiring to do. And it was very, very specific. And it was, uh, I, I didn't have a good appetite for it. I knew I could do it, but I didn't have a really good appetite. What were they asking for? You know, certain employees were going to fire. Everyone's going to go through a... Um, um, uh, they don't call it a personality test or an IQ test, but they're going to go through a test. It's one of the best practices. I actually love it. It's like, hey, we're going to test every employee. So if an engineer doesn't pass, we're likely going to get rid of them or move them to where they need to be. Or a sales rep is not supposed to be a sales rep. We're going to move them where. And you can't argue this. It will be a requirement. So they made it very clear that these are the four walls you get to operate in. We're paying you money. We own you. You now are going to follow our best practices. And... um I, I liked it because I, 
I, I saw the value of learning and growing in that, but I also knew what I was going to have to do to some people here. Um, and I knew, I already knew what would, what would go down. And I knew me, a free spirit independent contractor, realtor, that compact being compact like that just would not work well with me. And not knowing what the back end, because it was a majority deal, but not knowing and being able to control the back end of the deal, I just knew that my temperament wouldn't do well with that type of structure. Just for so, clarity, when you say it was a majority deal, meaning they were going to acquire more than half of your company and they correct. were going to ask you to roll the rest in the way of equity. What was correct. the percentage split? Uh, what was that with them? I think it was like 70%. And then it was, hey, we're going to, within three years, buy another 15%. And then the 15, it'll happen when we actually close out. And by the way, we don't have a date on that. We're not going to commit to a date on that. And further, you should expect we're going to have a date because here's our track record. Here's when we have to pay our LPs out. This is our strategy. And, and I believed it. Um, but it was like, it was called, it was a 50-50. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. It was 50% of me loved it and 50% of me hated it. 50% was super intrigued on, I'm going to learn these best practices. And 50% was like, you know what? I just know I'm not going to like this. And I, I talked to a couple of my friends who sold their companies to Vista. And it's like, hey, it's a lot of board decks. It's a lot. It's like your role as a CEO is dramatically different. You're not in product, Tyler. You're, you're not at all. What you are doing is you're literally prepping the board. I mean, they, and they run a great shit for their LPs. I get it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I really like the model. And they were really, um, I learned a lot from them. So I had them, I had Vista. Um, Sarant came up in, in, in fee, but they had a lot of other uh, prefs and, and um, explain what a prep is. It's just they, they had things like, okay, hey, it's, it's, we're, we're going to be taking out some debt here. Uh, so if it's debt, that's first money out opposed to your money. So depending on the back end of the deal where we sell, it just, it wasn't, it was a good value and deal. It just, we, we knew we could do better. Um, and I was, it was hard because I, re, I mean, these guys gave me a lot of tips and tricks. They were my, my free coach for a long time. I, I'm in a couple of investments with some of those guys outside of, um, you know, outside of what we do today. And they're fantastic. They're fun. I'm like snowboarding with them and stuff. I'm like, shoot, guys, I can't do this deal with you. Um, but, um, and then we had Fidelity. And Fidelity was interesting because they were off by a multiple from their first LOI. So, I mean, by, from our top number, from, from the company we knew that would never close, but they were off by a multiple. So when they wrote the original LOI, I mean, our, our banker's like, guys, we, he likes you guys the best, but you're off. And not only are you off, you're off by a multiple. So like, you, you need to come significantly up. When you say and, off by a multiple, are you referring to like one turn of ARR? So more than 12 million? Uh, so let's say, let, let, let's say um, our, our top offer was $100 million. Fidelity's opening offer was 40. Okay. You're off by, hey, you're not only off by like five or 10 million, you're off by a multiple, like double your number and you're off. You're, that's how far off you guys are on your initial offer. Wow. Um, and why did you not, why, why not just dismiss them outright? I mean, like that, that, that is not even in the ballpark of what. That, that's what my mind would have said as a realtor who helps clients negotiate. You get a low ball offer that's so far. You have a house listed at a million and someone writes you an offer at 500,000. You're like, don't even reply. And so I said, I think during this process, this is, I think, a really important key is you're running a business, stressful. You're in startup land, stressful. You're vulnerable because you've exposed your financials to people. So any entrepreneur just feels vulnerable. You're like, now all my competitors know my data, all my numbers. You know, they know how big and little I am. And it's just you feel uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's a dark place. 
and you don't know the outcome of what this could be. And the outcome could be, which we said, we don't have to sell. And that was true. We don't. We can still grow. We can still make some money. But it's still, that would suck. You know, all of our competitors know everything about us and we didn't sell. And you go through these, these you know, these, these um, stages in life as an entrepreneur and a founder that are just, it's, they're uncomfortable. They're stressful. There's, it's dark and it's lonely and you're on an island. You don't have much people. That's why YPO and EO are so important in my opinion. You know, you're, I always say it's like an analogy of a duck above water. You're cold, calm, and collected, but underneath you're freaking swimming, paddling like a freaking duck. It's, it's okay. So back to the question, why not just dismiss it? Like you, 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 well, because you have to trust people you hire. We hired a banker. Our banker made a recommendation said, let me do what I do. This is what I do. This is why you hired me. It's, and, and he's telling me, as I would tell a seller. Of a real estate. Hey, you hired me as a professional to get this done. You're emotional to it. Of course you want to dismiss it. Ego is getting involved. Don't bring a knife to a shotgun fight, kid. This is what we do all day, every day. So what you have to do is you have to commit, submit, and trust the process. So what did he know that, like, why did he think there was another multiple in Fidelity? He's a good banker. He, he, he's got a very good pulse on him. He runs, I'm, I'm telling you, he runs a very, I've been on the other side of the deal. Let me give an example. I'm trying to acquire companies and he's the banker. And I'm like, I hate you as the banker representing the, the, the seller. I don't like it. It's not fun. I know, your t- I know your tricks. I know here he's very strategic with what he says, what he doesn't say. He listens very well. He will go silent at sometimes. The art of negotiation where I'm like, what the heck? Did the Zoom go out? What's going on? Why aren't you talking? Now I'm the loser who's talking, right? So, and I know all this because he taught me it when we did our deal. So he's smart and calculated. And he said, let me do what I do. And so he called and said, well, here's the deal. They haven't come up, but they want to fly you out to their Montana ranch. I'm like, huh? Montana, like, what do I wear? What's going on? I'm in Montana. So they, they fire up the jet. We fly down to Montana and meet, you know, the whole executive team and the founder. And so they had a private jet. They flew. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're probably traded. We go down there. We meet them. We're sitting on their dock. You know, we've got all the execs from Fidelity. We got Bill Foley, the founder, who these guys are your first impressions. Like, is this just like, you know, blue suit, gray hair? I mean, these guys are some of the hardest workers I know. It's crazy. Like it's a fantastic organization and, and, you know, Bill's done a really good job over there. And so we're sitting on his dock and he's like, Oh, tell me what we're doing. Why are we doing it? Da, 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 da. And I was like, great. Love it. Done. But wait, you're, you're half as much as the other guys. You like, what did I, you- I, I, that's what I do. But Chris coaching said, don't talk price. Don't even mention it. Say, Hey, don't even mention offers. Don't you just go there and wow them with, bootstrap, real estate related, your vision, you do not talk anything else. So he coached us very strategically on what to do and what's not to. So we're out there golfing, fly fishing, we're on ATVs. I'm like, man, I can really see us getting squat out here, man. This is cool. Like, you know, wow. I mean, we're on a cattle ranch. I'm like, I'm in heaven. I'm like, so we're recording ourselves like, dude, like if this deal doesn't go through, we're not going to do this again. Like, you know, it's just like, it's but like I got to push back because, you know, like if you had taken even the Sarah deal, which is an enormous amount of money, you could have bought your own ranch, your own fly fishing gear, your own ATVs, your own airplane and funded the whole thing. You didn't need this Fidelity company to do any it, of that stuff. It was, it was cool. I mean, these guys were flexing, no doubt, but watching what they were able to do you're like man this is like you got this whole 
you know, 6,000 acre ranch, freaking working, selling, slinging title insurance. Like that's hard to do, you know? Did they so, ask, did Bill ask you what you wanted? Did he ask for your number? No, he's, this, he's a really smart person. This guy owns the golden Knights, you know, fi, you know, black. I mean, he's done a ton of crazy stuff. I'm around here. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm toilet paper for the company, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rocket fuel for their jets. So to them, he didn't ask that because he's like, I got guys that figure that out. He's not getting to the weeds. There's a billionaire. Like I'm sitting in front of a billionaire. You know, I've never sat in front of a billionaire at that time. I'm like, it's freaking a billionaire. Like, holy cow, you know, super laid back. Um, just a really nice guy. And we didn't talk numbers. We go back and Chris goes, well, they're coming up. I'll have the answer in the next couple of hours. You did a great job. Talk to you soon. I'm like, that's it. And they came back. Went from a little over forty million to eighty-two million dollars enterprise value. Wow! And so now you're like, wow, that's crazy. That is okay. Crazy. So eighty-two million bucks. So now they're. It sounds like they're they're kind of in the same ballpark as the Vista guys. They are. Yep. And now it's who do we want to be with? So now this is where I think the banker comes in and it's really really helpful. Chris knew us very well, knew me really well, and really coached me like a like a a mentor, you know, throughout this process really cared about us and really protecting. He could have just said, let's get the deal done, done. He's like, no, 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 no. So we did the work. This is now the second leg of the work. We're going to keep this a really tight process. And the story is you're bootstrapped. You don't have time to take away from your day to day. You're a hands-on CEO. They have to close this in 30 days or it's not going to work. So we're going to give them 25 days exclusivity and we'll give them a five to 10 day extension in the event they need it. I'm like, is that even possible? He goes, we're gonna make it possible. We're gonna run a very tight process. So that's number one. Number two, you know, your biggest concern is, hey, is this company gonna overnight tell you need to move to Nevada? And now, you know, your, your business is disrupted. Like we have to protect the back half. So they acquired 67% of the company. Um, and so we need to protect that back half. How are we gonna do that? And what was great was we had another meeting with, with, uh, with Bill and the team in Napa. And um, he goes, what's important to you? Because you, know, you got all these crazy terms. I said, what's important is that, look, I mean, I, you, you believe in me. You've said that to run this company, to bring it to the promised land. But I need to make sure that I'm not getting handcuffed at every corner. And he didn't want to share that either. At the time, he wasn't going to acquire it through that entity of Fidelity. There was another entity he was going to do it, and something must have happened. I can't remember what happened at that time. But um, I didn't want to get corporate. So he says, what if you report to you know, me and my team, um, and you know, that way you don't stay in the corporate realm. And uh, you, know, you got to hit numbers. You got to do things. But I'm like, and so I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> Clearly, I'm like, yeah, we're fishing, and I'm reporting to you like sold, you know? Um, but you know, what's important, I said, what's important to me is that in the event, I feel that there's not going, you're not holding up to your end of the bargain that I can walk away with some, some preferences that we both can agree on. And so well, that's what we did. So, so the, the, we, we wrote the way that we wrote the, the, uh, purchase agreement, the operating agreement, my, my, my employee contract, et cetera, um, was, Hey, we cannot call. Within five years, we have an anniversary year five through six, anniversary year six through seven. We cannot call you. So in year three, we can't say, we're going to buy your shares, Tyler. We cannot do that. But what you can do is if you'd like, if we aren't living up to our, our end of the deal, you can call or put your options and we'll take them. 
and and uh, and we'll call them. And by the way, we this is the valuation that we'll, we will put in place. If we believe it's higher or lower, we will put in. And this is all Chris is doing. We will put in mechanisms that um, allow for us in a joint partnership come up with a value that we're both comfortable with. You get an appraiser, I get an appraiser. All these types of things. And so Chris orchestrated this deal um, in a way where it allowed me to run very independently with with not being a majority owner. Let me let me see if I, I understand this. Let me see if I understand the, the, the mechanism and, and try to just kind of repeat back what you said. So they bought 67% of the company up front. So there's a remaining 33% on the for, table. For, for both me and my business partner, correct. Okay. So there's a fairly significant minority stake still at... Uh, you know, on the table that you've chosen to roll in, Correct. and but so you've you you negotiated so that they couldn't just buy that back from them at their discretion. Correct. That they, they had to wait for a period they, of time. They could fire me if I'm doing something wrong. My equity would still remain in. I could call it though, so I can say, "Hey, I I want to sell." I can only sell fifty percent though. So there's, they, they did it this way. That was one of their points because well, we don't want you to sell it all because then you leave and who's going to run the company. So we want you to have, if you quit on us, we need you to have some sort of significant equity still. So you feel committed to still see the business grow. You see what I mean? Because at the end of the day, they're running an eight plus million billion dollar, you know, market cap at the time business. They don't want to run a tech company. They, they want to do their title insurance that they're good at and they bring great value to their shareholders. And the whole value of this was like, this can help feed their title arm in several ways. We can help build out technologies to operate and make their more efficient. There's a lot of synergies within this. Um, we can spin it up and then sell it off into a spa. I mean, we had all these great, tons of great ideas and strategies um, and synergies. And so that's, we structured it that way. Hey, they wanted to be protected in the event I walked. They always heard, hey, these tech companies, these CEOs just leave. I'm like, guys, I'm hungry. I ain't leaving. I got nothing else lined up right now. I didn't think this deal was going to close, <laughs> you know, like, and so, um, so if I want to call up in the five years, I don't think they're doing what they, what I believe they should, or I want to move on to whatever I want to, I can say, Hey, I want to be paid out 50% of my remaining equity. Um, I still would have 50% in, and I could not exercise that for an additional year after. So it gives them time to put a new CEO, et cetera. At five years, they can go, hey, big boy, we want to call. We want, we're, we're going to now buy half of your stock, um, your, your, your shares at this valuation. Or which would be a multiple of ARR at the time, I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah. 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 Unless you disagree or we disagree, but this is what it says. Um, and then the following year, year six through seven, they can do the same thing. Um, and so the, the, the whole story there is, hey, after five, six years, you've grown it. We want to be able to you know, buy you out. You, know, you, you have liquidation. You, know, you want to move on to new things. And maybe we don't. We, we want the option to. Um, you know, they want me to stay on as, as forever. You know, they, I think they're really happy. I'm really happy with them. But you know, we all have you know, new things to try out and test out. And, but they've been a fantastic partner. I'm still running the company. I'm still the CEO of SkySlope. Um, still today, and we're you know, on year six. So, and, and just give folks a, a sense of where it's gone. At the time of the initial transaction, you had twelve million in ARR. Are you able to share kind of where you are now? How much you've yeah. grown? Yeah, we're, we're well north of forty uh, million in ARR. More like around fifty. That's what we'll end up at. Amazing. Margin significantly better. I won't go into specific numbers, but it's 
We have a 13% plus margin from when we actually sold and we had a really good margin then. Fidelity is very, uh, very diligent margin. You have to understand they're a title company. Um, and so margin, they've had to train me really well on margin because in tech, margins are relevant, you know? <laughs> And that's not what they believe, and, and which is fair. And so it's kept me really disciplined. And I think in this current market that we're in today, I, to my friends, look like a genius when really they have really pressure tested me to go, do you really need this? Like, do we really need to do that? And because they're so big on margin, that's, they're so good. I mean, they're a publicly traded company. It's very standard. You, you hire people when you need to hire people, you fire people when you need to fire people, you, you do things for shareholders. And we're not moving the needle or hurting or gaining for their, true stock right now um we're doing some really cool things that they'll be announcing at some point but um you know like it's not like oh our margin is going to change their p now they're they're a very large company you know what i mean yeah i do but does that ever get uh frustrating i'm not sure that's the wrong maybe the wrong choice of words but but i'm but you know you make you have this huge economic outcome where yeah. there's just obviously a, a, a tremendous liquidity event part of me would think there'd be an inclination to kind of want to celebrate a little bit and you know buy the 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 couch for the coffee you know the the yeah. relaxation room and get the foosball yeah. table and get all the stuff that that is the trappings of a successful company and these guys the new acquirers are like no no you got to pen you know uh pinch all the pennies and you know make yeah. sure yeah do, do you know what i'm asking yeah, I think I might be describing it incorrectly. Well, so first off, we're in 20,000 square feet. This looks like Google here. So if you come in our office, I mean, we've got the ping pong tables. I mean, I mean, we were so outrageous. Just when they acquired us, the, the perks that we had for employees were, I mean, were, it was outrageous. I mean, I mean, it was crazy. $150 member, gym memberships for everyone. I mean, it was pet insurance. I mean, you anything you can think of, we had. It was dumb. Insurance. I mean, it, it was it was dog walk. I mean, it was, dude, it, you, I can't even go through that. I mean, 60 grand a year on La Croix because people like sparkling bubble water. I mean, it was wild. Like Kindles. I mean, I can't even, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go crazy thinking about it. So when COVID hit, they didn't give us this exercise, but we did. And we said, we need to make sure we're smart because people can't show homes. <laughs> like how are we going to get paid? You can't even show a house, which no one would have thought the market did what it did. Right. But in the beginning, we're like, cut all perks. So we got lean and we got mean. And I'm telling you right now, the, the margin went through. I mean, it was a, the dumbest margin in tech. It was, it was dumb. It was ridiculous. And then you parlay that with everyone in real estate needed a software because they're remote. So how do you turn in your documents? So our sales, it was like the perfect storm, you know? Mm -hmm in a bad way with people getting sick and dying, of course, um, um, getting really ill. But it was, you know, it's every, every tech company exploded back then, but we did it in a way where we didn't need to spend a ton of money to grow. We stayed lean and we grew. And so I, I hear what you're saying. It is frustrating because at some points I wanna go, let me drop this much money because I can grow it, but they support that. They are fully like, if you want to drop a million and a half bucks, don't, they don't even say give it, they don't, you don't even need our permission. We expect you as the CEO to run the business. But they're honestly constantly on my, on my um, board meetings of, hey, do you really think you need that? So they're challenging, which they should. They're, they're, they own the company. So they're, and at the end of the day, they're letting me do what I want to do, which is fantastic. If they were putting me in this box, I just, I know how I am. 
so they, I'm telling you, they've been a fantastic partner. Um, they've been, they've been really, really, uh, great. It's, it's been a great relationship. And I'll tell you right now that like, you know, they'll hate me for saying this, but it's, you know, you think it's, it's blue suits and a lot of older men. And I can tell you they're the, they're some of the hardest workers I've met, no doubt. Like I'm like, man, they put, they put a lot of my friends that I know to shame. I mean, these guys grind. You think they have private jets and it's all fun. I don't want to be on the jet. I'd rather fly commercial. You know why? Because you're working the entire time on the jet. Like it's there to work. And they make it very clear. You're there to work. So you are working on the plane. Then you're getting off the plane to work. And then you're working. Like, so it's a nice luxury, but they work. It's not like, let me take a photo for the gram in front of the jet. No, they're working and they're working hard. And so it's inspiring to see that's not what someone on the outside would think. You're like, man, it's like lollipops and rainbows. And they're, they're, they're doing exactly what we're doing in a much different way. And yeah, there's corporate bureaucracies and things that sure. are annoying, but on a net net, you're like, damn, I got a lot of respect for these guys. You know what I mean? I love the story and I'm glad it's worked out so well. Are you up for a quick lightning round of questions yeah. before I let you go? All right. What's the slimiest trick that an investor or acquirer tried to play on you? Uh, you know, our, I won't know to the name. Someone who wrote an LOI submitted on accident, we don't know if it was accident, submitted one of their junior analysts, a, the LOI they're writing for one of our competitors. Now, we don't know if it was because it was a tactic to show that they got another bird in the hand, or if they actually did it and they were seeing which one, which bird in the hand they wanted. But it was like, dude, that was slime. We were like, they sent that? He goes, either someone's getting fired or they did this on purpose. Because you don't do that. Why would you send an LOI to me, the banker, representing an entire different competitor? It made no sense. So it was slimy or maybe it was strategic. I don't know. We will never know. Slimy is my bad. <laughs> Biggest yeah. mistake that you made personally during the process of selling your company. In the process of selling, interesting. Um, if you're going to sell, get advice on your financials up front, because what you think you know about financials, accrual versus cash-based accounting, and get someone strategic on early if you do plan, so you know what your value, your worth is prior to going to the banker. Um, not that we made a mistake in that, but that was so important where I don't know, I might have... I, look, hindsight's twenty twenty, but back then, if I knew those financials and knew the value of my company, I might have kept going. And I, I don't know what the outcome. It could have been a worse outcome or a better outcome. I'm not mad, and I don't think I sold short. I'm very happy with where I'm at and what I did. But I might have said, you know what, we're worth this times multiplier. If I add this much more money, this is what it looks like. This is what I can do. Let's keep running. I'll throw another two million bucks in the business if I have to. Like I had the money, you know. So um, I would just get, get your understand your finances. I think we. A lot of these uh, CEOs are bootstrapped or, or, or you know, five to 10 million, they don't know their financials. They're like, oh, I got a financial person for that. It's like, know your numbers. Like, I think that's a big, big, you know, rule until you get to massive scale, but know your numbers, you know? Great point. I've heard selling a business is like an emotional roller coaster with the highest peaks and the lowest valleys. What was the the kind of lowest emotional valley you reached during the process of selling? You know, um, I didn't have a lot of lows on selling. I had a lot of lows in startup world, you know, getting sued by one of the biggest, largest businesses out there and thinking 
everything's gone and I've got 2 million bucks in the business. But my banker did such a great job at managing my emotions. Um, you know, he, he walked me through saying, hey, this is going to feel uncomfortable or these guys are going to beat you up. They are going to attack your business. Don't let ego get involved. Do not let that. They are here to, to prick and pry all day long. And you need to just smile and put a face on that. You know what you're doing. And you're the entrepreneur and that you built this kingdom, this castle. And don't let the emotions get you. Don't get defensive. So he, he was really good at managing emotions. Um, you know, really good at managing my emotions, even when it was low. Like, hey, don't let this offer discourage you. Like, we're going to get these guys up. Trust me. Like, don't, don't let this hurt, hurt your, your, your mind. Don't let it cut you off. We've got four more meetings. I need to be on your A game. And so he did a really good job. At that to where it got fun of like, hey, here's a key word I want you to try to throw in your pitch to see. <laughs> so now, now we played little games. And so it got to be really cool. Um, uh, look, I, I'm sure there was a low. I don't recall it to being the lowest low, but I can tell you, I think it was because he helped really manage, really manage the, the, the emotions during this process. What about the high? Do you remember the oh. highest moment you reached? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It wasn't even the sell itself. It was actually, that was a little... Um, just depressing. You think it'd be celebratory. It just, it, it didn't, it felt uncomfortable to be honest. Um, I think what, what, what was the, the high was doing these pitches, leaving, knowing that you left it all on the table, like you crushed it. And we graded everyone after what do we do good? What do we do bad? What could we have changed? What worked? What did, I mean, we ran a, we ran a process after the process, <laughs> you know what I mean? And to know, I remember we went to the, uh, the Vista guys and we left them in Texas and we walked out of there. We record, I have all these recordings. I need to pull them up. Um, it's like, how do you feel? What emotions are going through? And I, sometimes you'll watch those back. Like, man, I was on cloud nine after that. Like, we killed this. We said this so well. Oh, they didn't even know about this. We showed them some sizzle here. Like, so those are the highs, the process, the journey, not even the, the, the sell. It was the journey of doing that was just so cool. It was so fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. How did you educate yourself about the process of selling your company? I know that you leaned heavily on Chris, your M&A uh, advisor. Uh, was there any other resource that you turned to EO or YPO at all? Or were there other like uh, books or anyone that you kind of turned to or anything you could point our listeners to to educate themselves about selling? Yeah, both YPO and EO with people that had had an exit. Not everyone has one and not everyone has one of that scale. It's a pretty, pretty big scale. Um, and so, look, I'm, I, I did the same thing I did in real estate. I went and met with the top entrepreneurs or top realtors in every state. I did the same thing of, hey, you sold your company. I asked for a big list of everyone that my banker went through. Hey, before we even signed the deal, like, show me references. I want 10. 10. Yeah, I want 10. Just give me the name and numbers. I'm going to call them. I don't even want you to call them. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm a machine. And so I'm like, why did this work? Why do you like it? Why didn't you? Why do you get a deal done? So, I mean, I did that. And then throughout the process, I stayed in contact with those guys. Hmm. Uh, and so for me, I was, I used that as like, how can I make sure I am talking to the right people? Again, you, my, my message everyone is like, how do you, people forget about networking in today's age. It's like, it's crazy. We're in this digital age. We don't network, but I get so much value out of experience sharing with my EO and YPO group going on trips, going on retreats. And sometimes we're busy. We're like, ah, I don't want to do this. And every time I'm like, I don't want to go to my meeting. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was the best meeting ever. I can't believe I almost missed that. Like, oh my gosh, I have these four big takeaways. Oh my, that's a great idea. I'm going to go implement it. And, and we forget that because we're so busy in our day to day. And sometimes we got to take our head out of the ground, breathe, 
and switch it up and get inspired. And, and I even do that to go, let me work in a different location. That just that alone sometimes does it. So sure. um, yeah, that's what I did when I, when I, uh, when, when, how I networked and how I understood and got through and talked to other people who went through the experience. Last question. You sell 67% of your company at an enterprise value of $83 million. I'm guessing, I'm hoping there was at least some trophy you bought yourself to commemorate this win. I'm, I'm so bad at this. Like it's, uh, I'm the worst. I am, I, I'm working at this constantly. I've bought things, no doubt. But did I have the big party? No. Did I buy the big thing? I bought nice things, no doubt. But I, I didn't. I, I, there's not something to go, I bought that. Now I'm getting better. My, 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 my COO, my new COO is like, every time you have a milestone, you need to do something. He goes, so this watch, not, nothing about the watch. It's a nice watch, no doubt. But this reminds me of this. And I know this. And so I'm trying to get better at it. So he bought me something. Um, as a reminder, we did an investment deal outside of the company. And you know, we made some, some change. It was nothing. But the message is bet on the jockey. And we didn't. And we made our money back. But it wasn't a big, big return as it should have been. Um, but it was, that's the message. And I'm like, I need to start doing that and getting better. I'm not good at it. Um, and I just, need to get, I just need to get better. My wife what kind of watch do you have? Well, right now I have an Apple watch, but um, I have several watches. I, I use, I'm function. So it's like, I have all these nice watches. I got, my wife gets mad because I don't wear my wedding watch. I've been watching our wedding. I'm like, she, you never wear it. I'm like, I just, I use function. It's like, I can sweat in this. I can go in my sauna in this. I don't need to take care of it. If it breaks, I can buy a new one and not feel bad. Um, but, you know, the, those, I, I, I really, I think that's important for everyone. I think it's a good question. I think everyone should do that. There's a book that's, uh, all about, you know, die with zero. And it's like, hey, what are you saving for? I can't wait to come to your party, Tyler. Like, because what are you saving for? Like, like, why? Not saying blow through everything, but like live a little bit, you know? Like, what's what's the, the balance of living and being healthy and saving? But like most people are saving for what? The rainy day, then get insurance or get an uh, annuity or he has an excuse for everything. And I constantly am trying to remind myself of that. So it's an Apple Watch. It's an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big trophy. Got it. Okay. Well, listen, I am uh, I am super grateful to you uh, for sharing in in the in our time together about the story and your journey from real estate to Sky Slope and and now Fidelity Nash. It's an amazing story, and I'm really grateful for you sharing it. Where can people, if they wanted to reach out and say hi on social, are you a LinkedIn guy? Yeah, or it's your time on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Tyler Smith. I'm with Sky Slope. I'm on Twitter, Ty Cloud, T Y C L O D. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, those those are where I'm most active. Awesome, and we'll put all those links uh, in the show notes at builttocell.com. Tyler, thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks so much. And there you have it for today's interview between John and Tyler. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then as always, be sure you hit that subscribe button. If you know of a guest just like Tyler who you think would be a perfect fit to be a guest right here on Built to Sell Radio, you can actually nominate them. By heading over to builttosell.com slash nominate, there you have the chance to nominate yourself or someone else to be a guest right here on the podcast with John. Also, a quick reminder, if you want to watch this full interview, then you can head over to our YouTube channel where we release the video of every single interview, and you can find that at Built to Sell Radio. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's podcast, including definitions for some of the more technical terms and the 10K filing for fidelity, head over to our show notes page, which again can be found at builttosell.com. 
Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling today's audio engineering. And thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisors are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. 